Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And I'm joined today by a dog barking next door, if that's what you're hearing. We are talking about Survivor 41, Episode 11, Do or Die. Someone's going to die, or maybe not. <laughs> Evan, what did you think of this episode? Well, we'll get to it, but the uh, the do or die, the, the name choice uh, for that... I found jarring throughout, yeah. um, especially when there was like a uh, talking head with Ricardo at one point where he was like, I'm excited or something around. He's like, cause tonight, like Deshaun's going to die. And I was just yeah. like, um, okay, not Ricard's fault. Just the, the, the phrasing yeah. was troubling. Overall, I cannot say enough good things about this episode. I think this was a landmark episode in the series. I think that I also, you know, there's been a lot of talk online about this being like such a great cast, and I thought about that a lot. I've never really thought one way or the other. Like, I thought this was a good cast. I, de- I didn't think it was like one of the best. After last night, I was just convinced that like this cast is so incredibly dynamic, and there are so many things that so many people are offering, both strategically and then character-wise. I I really, really, really think that this episode should be submitted for like an Emmy award for like a single episode. I just think this was a terrific hour of television that um, was Survivor. Liana made a really great comment, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but sort of about like to some people, they're probably wondering like this isn't Survivor. No, this is Survivor. uh, And I'm really, really proud to see the show sort of like take on this conversation and in such a meaningful way. What about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I don't think that it was as strong as last week's. I mean, if we're submitting for Emmys, I think the Shan boot gets submitted for the Emmy. Although maybe uh, maybe for an Emmy voter who's watching this out of context, then maybe this is the better one. Because yeah, the Shan I... vote is excellent in context. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's... Um... I think I always think about these people that have like, this perception of the show Survivor. They're like, oh, it's a show about people on the island and blah, blah, blah. So I think last night, to your point, would be exciting for people that think that it's one show. It would kind of show itself to be. And also people mm. are like, it's still on after after 20 years. It's like, yeah, and there's still new stories to tell. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did really enjoy it. And I thought, to your point, the cast, like looking at this final seven, there's so often in the show's history where especially in sort of like post season 30 where you kind of get down to the end and there's been a whole bunch of goats dragged to the end and you kind of don't really care for anyone it's hard to root for anybody but here i would say uh, aside from heather i really really like everybody and i think everyone has a decent case going into a final tribal council yeah so it's been enjoyable. And I thought we just really got some great stuff from Danny this week. And yes. if you look back at the show, uh, Danny has had an excellent edit. I mean, Danny has really, I can't really think of a time that Danny really went wrong, except for, I mean, my own personal grudge of him uh, inventing a women's alliance that didn't exist. Mm. But 
other than that, I mean, in terms of his personality and he's got a certain charisma to him that, you know, every time he's on screen, he's just so interesting to watch and so opposite of what I thought he was going to be, being sort of like the alpha male archetype coming into the show. And I think, before I forget to mention this, I think like his relationship with Deshaun is really, really fun to watch because again coming into the end game you often have a pair of alpha males who are just sort of like making sure that they get each other to the end or they get one of them to the end because they're going to have a great case in front of the jury and I usually hate that because I can't relate to an alpha male but I think the Danny and Deshaun relationship and story has kind of like bucked the trend of how alpha males uh, interact on this show like they're they're like a pair of sensitive interesting thoughtful straight men yeah and uh, i'm not used to that on this show and though i do feel like i wish we would have gotten more like talking heads or things from danny earlier on in the season i felt like this moment with danny and the discussion around his father was very earned because in mentioning the date and how that linked up it sort of connected um, his story in such a way that it's like, well, because there have been some instances, instances where they sort of do like the the um, this new thing that they're doing where they like sort of help paint the picture of who this person is outside the game. And some of those would come like five episodes in and it would be like, why are we all of a sudden talking about this person? But I mm-hmm. felt like with the Danny one, it was just super poignant because he connected it to like, there's a reason why I'm having this flood of emotions on this particular day in the game. And even just seeing like those photos of his pregnant wife, I felt like, even a glimpse like that was just informed so much about who he is that we had previously not known. Yeah, I have to wonder whether they've started using this flashback technique as a substitute for the family visit, because usually we get this sort of emotional connection to characters through the family visit and learning who they are in terms of like, who they've got back home and getting to see them sort of like emotionally break down, seeing somebody like a wife or a mother or father, etc. A harem. And uh, in this case, we don't have that opportunity because of COVID. And so this has been, I think, a really effective way to humanize the, the players in this game. Absolutely. One thing real quick I am curious about, because, you know, it, it seems pretty clear we're not getting a family visit. I'm surprised that we couldn't do zoom family visits or something because Mm -hmm. when you think back to early survivor um there weren't family visits there were Mm -hmm. calls or it was letters right in the very beginning it was the survivor internet cafe in the australian outback (laughs) i'm surprised given the technology that we have available to us that they wouldn't um still find some way to incorporate the family visit yeah yeah i i do find that a little odd okay let's get into the recap so we arrive at Viacana Beach post-tribal, and the big question for me in this first segment is whose plan was it to take out Shan? Because we got a lot of people talking about the fallout of the Shan vote, and we've got a lot of people taking credit for the move or giving credit for the move, and it's really like dispersed amongst many people. So we see Liana confronting uh, Danny and Deshaun about being blindsided on the Shan vote, and she says they're cannibalizing themselves and Deshaun and Danny try to like backpedal a little bit in their relationship with Liana to say well it wasn't our plan it was Ricard's plan I don't know that that's sort of like washing their hands of the vote because while it may have been Ricard's plan 
they gladly went along with it and Liana was the collateral damage in that or potential collateral damage. But meanwhile, Xander, Ricard, Heather, and Erica are in the shelter and they're celebrating as a new alliance, seemingly, uh, that also has an idol and an extra vote at their disposal. And in a confessional, Xander says he pulled off a big move to get Shan out. Like, I don't know about that narrative. I, I know I've seen people online talk about how Erica's not getting enough credit for the Shan move. And I think I'd have to go back and rewatch the that strategy segment to really like try to parse out who brought it up first and who really put it into motion. Because in my mind, it was so clearly Ricard. But maybe that's because we were getting the perspective from Ricard's confessionals on the move against Shan. So I'm not entirely clear here. But the fact that Xander is bringing up that it was his move, I'm like, I don't, babe, I don't think so. I did love that Xander confessional, though, and it was one of those moments where I just was like, Xander's so charming, you know? It's funny, this journey where, you know, you and I early on were like, you know, quick to identify him as a himbo, and he's definitely not a himbo. There's there's a complexity to Xander, um, and especially in this seven, he brings a lot. There's a lot that he offers, and we'll get to it, but also like later in this episode, I think Xander is someone who will come away from this survivor experience uh, just he will get a lot from this experience. I think, you know, everyone does to an extent, but I, we, I think we're even witnessing in this, what, 21 days, um, some character evolution from Xander. So I enjoy him. Evan, did you see the secret, the extended secret scene? No. Oh my God. Okay, so you know the secret scene from last week where Liana's following Xander around when he's idol hunting, she pushes him over, they go to talk to Shannon Ricard to be like, mom and dad, like, Liana won't leave me alone and I'm just trying to look for an idol. And they're like, it's just like a kind of a funny, cute moment where they're all just like bickering. But but that's when Shan says to Xander, we're all supposed to be working together. And, and we talked about this, how, oh, oh, Xander's in on this? Like, where does Xander fall in all of this? Well, CBS put out on YouTube an extended version of that secret scene where after the big discussion amongst the four of them, Ricard, Shan, Xander, and Liana, Xander's talking to Shan and Ricard alone, and he says something to the effect of like, yeah, like, I, I just, I just really kind of like have a crush on Liana. Like, he, he has a big old crush on Liana. Hmm. <laughs> and so Shan is like super excited about this and she starts playing cupid and she's like i'm gonna go tell liana and like shannon ricard are like giggling all their way to like liana it's just like so funny and cute and then they tell liana and liana's like what the fuck (laughs) and and she has this confession because i think she might reciprocate those feelings just a little bit like we've talked about this before like that's why you know she's like a little kid throwing rocks at her crush on the schoolyard and she's kind of like, oh, I can't, I kind of can't believe this, but like, that's flattering, but also I'm still going to try to vote him out. So anyways, that's just like another layer to the Xander-Liana relationship. Also, like, why not include that? Like, I feel like that has not like narrative implications, but it's still something that I think is relevant given, you know, that we're about to have 
one of the two of them booted it. And, and given the fact that in Xander's mind, uh, oh wait, I was gonna say he, he helped architect that vote, but actually no, he thinks he helped architect the Shan vote. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah. I still think given how much, uh, we've had of like Liana, remember at one point, what was it? What was the comment that she made at one point under her breath when Xander, I think he I had, hate his face. Yes. So, like, given that they've included these little tidbits, I think the fact that uh, he, in fact, has a crush on her, I think, is relevant to the seasonal arc. But whatever. Yeah. Okay. So, in the shelter, Deshaun confronts Ricard to talk about Shan's parting words. Remember when Shan left, she said, Ricard, you've got my vote for the million dollars. Deshaun, you're a snake. First of all, it's amazing that Shan continues to star in this show. I mean, we'll get to her jury uh, uh, appearance, but she continues to be the main character of this show. So Deshaun breaks down the series of events that he says led Ricard to make the move against Shan. And Ricard says that Ricard says that his plan to get Shan out was sped up when he found out that he was next on Danny and Deshaun's hit list. So he's basically like, yes, like this series of events where I came to you and told you that Shan told me that you were going to get me out and that she wanted to turn on you, Deshaun. All of that was absolutely true. And that's all aired in front of everybody who's in the shelter. And and I mention this because it's going to come up again at Tribal Council. And it's actually going to be the thing that kicks off uh, the discussion about race at Tribal Council. So the next day, Deshaun is on his apology tour. Deshaun and Ricard make up after their shelter confrontation, uh, which honestly wasn't even much of a confrontation. It was just like a laying out of the facts and confirming the truth of those facts. Um, And then he tries to make up with Liana saying, I'll never write your name down. And Liana is not buying it and she's still out for revenge. And then we have this scene where Danny marks the 25 year anniversary of his father's death and we get some of his backstory. What I really liked about this was that I feel like sometimes when a player in Survivor history has a story like that, it's like, they come into the game with this perspective, whereas Danny arrived at this perspective in the game. That's why I thought, it, like, sometimes I would, if Danny said, like, I came out to play Survivor because I had this realization that I wanted to stop feeling resentment towards my father for his dying, which, like, he didn't, uh, you know, like, he couldn't control that. Uh, that So that's why I came on Survivor to make him proud. Sometimes I feel like that's a little bit of a leap. But here... Danny actually says, like, it's today I am realizing that I want to put this in my past, move forward and like try to do well by him and try to like make my relationship with my mom better and make my relationship with my wife better as a result. You know, like all of these things. Uh, So I really liked that that was a realization he came to in the game and that it would like potentially affect the game because of course he goes on to win immunity and that's uh, like a moment for him he breaks down crying presumably because of this sort of like thought process he'd been going through uh, uh earlier in the day yeah two things on that one when he went on to win the immunity i was worried that jeff after he won the immunity was going to like try and bring it up the thing about his mm. the day of his dad and trying to connect the immunity win and i was really glad that he did it and that that it was able to be danny's like contained story and that we as an audience were able to connect the dots around the meaningfulness of that win for him on that day I also just think the Danny conversation made me think about our recent conversation with Sophie and sort of talking about the realizations one can make about themselves or their life from just being 
having the solitude of being alone on an island and with your thoughts. And so I think what's really cool about someone like Danny and casting someone like Danny is the acknowledgement again that like, in contrast to a Russell Hands who comes out here and is just like on a mission to manipulate people to win a million dollars. And Danny, as you said, didn't come out here with a goal to like make character growth. But as a result of the aspect of this show that has nothing to do with the quote unquote game, he will come out of this a changed human being. And sometimes I think that there are other people that we just that have a similar uh, path that we just don't necessarily see reflected in the narrative. But I think that's one of the really powerful things about the construct of the show, the um, the isolation aspect, and the ability to quiet one's thoughts and sort of reassess how they've lived their life. And I thought the other neat thing about the whole Danny arc was nothing happened to kick it off. It just, I mean, obviously there was the anniversary of his dad's death, but it's not as though there was some event. It was sort of like the three weeks that he had had leading up to that day of being on this island sort of culminated in him having this realization, uh, the catalyst of which was uh, the anniversary of his dad's death. But yeah, I thought that was just so powerful. And then also him talking to Deshaun and saying, I'm going through a thing today and I might not be acting um, as I typically am and, and I want you to know why. And I think a lot of people, particularly straight men in a situation like that, hold their emotions inside. And I thought it was really neat to see him being vulnerable and, and ex expressing how he was feeling. I thought it was, yeah, it... it I, I've I've always liked Danny, but I've never really had any reason to like talk much about him because there's not been much mm. given. And I thought this makes a really strong case for him at the end, both this and, yeah. and then the immunity win. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the immunity challenge. We get a little bit of a breaking of the fourth wall where Jeff is telling us that the players are about to face a deadly twist, saying that by choosing to participate in the immunity challenge they may be putting themselves at risk i'm just wondering and i don't this isn't like a smart aside but like what is jeff talking to the camera adding it just like yeah it's like it just it it feels very bizarre at this point um and i couldn't help but be troubled not troubled but like yeah, and then also, real quick, uh, for those of you, I think we mentioned this at one point, but back when it was come on, come on In You Guys, he used to look down before for 40 seasons. He is looking down as he says it because, in his words, he's like, there's a, there, do you remember this? There's like, he's conjuring <laughs> yeah, some sort of, yes, yeah. there's a spirit or whatever. Anyway, I noticed with Come On In, he's no longer looking down. And I don't know why, but that like, kind of bothered me because I was like, you have this ritual. And so because you dropped one word from the ritual, suddenly you're, you're switching up the whole thing. I just, for, I feel like it's such a fun Easter egg in every episode of like watching him look down as he says it. Um, and knowing that whatever, something is going on in his mind. So I don't know. Anyway, I was just struck this time. I, I wonder if he hasn't been doing it at all this season, but I noticed it and I was bothered by it. I love that you said conjuring a spirit or whatever. I Just the, the mental image. No, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Survivor man, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. He talks about Survivor man, Jeff, this like alter ego that he has in his own mind of like the, the it's like his Sasha fierce. Yeah. It's, it's like the, his it's the, uh, host persona. Yeah. Like that's, that's Survivor yeah, man, Jeff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he conjures him by looking down at his feet for reasons unknown to us. Mm-hmm. 
If we ever get him on Drop Your Buffs, question number one. Yeah, if. (laughs) Big if. (laughs) Let's talk about the do or die twist. Uh, So the first person, so Jeff tells them that the first person to drop out of the challenge will play a new game at Tribal Council called Do or Die. Jeff only tells them that it's a game of chance where they either live or they die. If they live, they are safe at Tribal and the vote moves forward. And if they die, they're out of the game. No vote. But he doesn't get into the the machinations of the uh, actual twist, which I think is like, I don't want to say it's unfair, but it's withholding a significant piece of information from these contestants. It's unfair. At this point where they need to make the decision to participate or not participate in the challenge. Because he basically, like, he gives them an opportunity to say, like, first person to drop out of this challenge is going to face do or die. If you don't want to be the first person to drop out of the challenge, you can sit out of the challenge, and then you you don't have to, you, you can't win immunity, but you don't have to face do or die. And without the information about the fact that it's a one in three chance to get the do, the live, I don't know, why is it called do or die? <laughs> to get the to get the living uh, at tribal council, I feel, because in my mind, I would think, oh, it's, a, it's like a, it's a game that I have to play. It's some kind of challenge that I have to play, or it's literally like a coin toss. Like we just, we saw Michelle have a coin toss, right? In Winners at War. I'm usually so good about spoilers. It's okay. I have three episodes left. It's fine. (laughs) For those of you listening, I'm on my tail. I have three episodes of Survivor Winners at War left. And to Sean's credit, he has been a fantastic ambassador, never spoiling. It's very okay. It's very okay. (laughs) But when you said that, I was like, oh, I was just going along with it. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, oh. Okay. For a second, I was like, maybe there wasn't a coin toss. Maybe I invented that in my mind. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so anyways, uh, okay, well, uh, do you have anything more to say? Well, we'll talk about how that twist actually works when we I talk do. about tribal council. Briefly, it's very mm-hmm. bad. It's very, 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 mm-hmm. very bad. The sentiment on Twitter and on Reddit that I was seeing seems to be unanimously, it's bad. Now, I mean... Realty, most twists that happen on the game are pretty much, are typically not received well on the internet immediately after the fact. Um, And this is not exclusive to Survivor, but it just, it's very, very unnecessary. And if you look at, you know, as you and I both said up top, this is a very great episode of Survivor and none of that greatness has to do with this twist. This twist played into that in no significant way whatsoever. Also, in addition to that, we have the, um, What's this, the six, the, uh, the thing where there's a six, the chance of you, six, you have one in six chance of the do or, or the do or die, the shot in the keep, dark. Yes. See, oh my God, these effing terms. They're so, so stupid. Then, so then we have the end of the shot in the dark arbitrarily in this episode for no reason. And we're not told arbitrarily. that it's, yeah. And we're not told it's like that they're, it's, it's the, the first time they're hearing about it. Right. And we're not told about this until tribal. And then as uh-huh. you mentioned, they neglect to tell us we are under the assumption that it's a 50, 50 chance when in fact it's a one in three chance that you can live again i i those terms are so troubling um for many reasons especially coming out of a pandemic we're shooting this season in a pandemic and you chose live or die i can't um 
so it just seems so strange and such a such a reminder that like this show is like seems so intent on like tinkering with itself and i'm not opposed to that but sometimes it's like I, I want to know, like, in the whiteboard session with Jeff in his garage, like, where, like, what was the idea for this? Because this really can fuck the game in a really, like, unexciting way. I mean, imagine if this had happened to Shan last week and our, our arc with Shan ended with her dying, and that's the term that they choose. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't love it. Anyway, our arc <laughs> with Shan ended with her dying in the episode, and it's just that's that on that. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like or or conversely, it's like, what if Heather would have been the one to pick the uh, the live or die and lived? You got nothing. I mean, they got nothing already with it ended up being living. And I think one last point on this. I think it's worth noting how many of these tweaks have not worked this season. You know, the shot in the dark was used once and it did not it did not pan out. Right. We got like we got all this mention of it in the preseason. And then the first episode, completely ineffective twist. And Evan, I have this theory. I have this theory about the shot in the dark that had Sydney not played it, Sydney was the only person to play shot in the dark this whole season. I think if Sydney had not played it, they may have edited the whole thing out of the show. Would have been a good choice. Like yeah. just, and honestly, just so strange by constructs because I even think the one in three for Deshaun is unfair. Not unfair, but like just like it, it's the odds are just so not worth going for it in my mind. Um, and then when you get into like a one in six and you lose your vote, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But I just thought like in addition to the live or die being like convoluted in that like we weren't getting all the information and the information itself is just dumb. It It's like so not survivory, like by, as, mm -hmm. by way of how twists go. Again, like you said this earlier, but it's like perhaps there's a challenge that they have to do at tribal, whether it be, you know, picking a rock or, or something, but just like opening of the boxes and then, and then Jeff doing, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, I, yeah, I thought this was a really bad moment that was made particularly worse by how great everything else in the episode was. Yes, I agree. I think it did take away from the episode. I will, I, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but like after the tribal council discussion, like, then it's like, well, time for do or die. It's like, whoa. Yeah, time like, for Deshaun to die. You just really die. killed the mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Like, I'm glad we had this meaningful <laughs> conversation about black players in this game and, and black people in society. Uh, now, black man, please come before us and choose whether or not you will live or die. Like, yeah. just kind of gross. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the challenge. Liana and Heather sit out of the challenge. They are the ones that feel that they can't... Uh, perform well in the challenge and may be at risk to have to face the do or die. So they're playing, uh, as, I, as I saw it called on Twitter, they're playing the Amanda Kimmel Memorial Challenge. Oh my God. I call it the Suri Killer Challenge, not to use the die <laughs> language. I think I've been influenced here. But this is the challenge that Suri got knocked out of the final two, like that prevented her from getting to the final two in Micronesia, I believe. I think that Parvati fell out kind of like semi-early and then it was against Amanda and Sari and Sari was like, you know, I, I have to hold steady in like the operating room. Like I, I have, this is a challenge for me. And then she ended up losing and, and it's because Amanda had this great hack to the challenge, which is mimicked in this challenge, which I love. So wish it would have been basically discussed. what it is. Yeah. Basically what it is, is the players use 
handles to balance a ball on a wooden cylinder. And as the game goes on, they add more sections of cylinder, making it harder to hold. That's probably not a great verbal description, but yeah. yeah you, if, if you're listening to this, surely you saw the episode. <laughs> so, And if you didn't, tell me what you're, what you're taking away from these recaps. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, Deshaun's ball drops. They said, Jeff said three seconds. They also had 30 seconds later in the episode. I don't know what the truth is, but it's pretty quick. So it's like all of this build up with the do or die. And you don't want to be the first to fall into the challenge. It's just like, oh, well, yep, he's flop. Up. Like yep. Deshaun just fell. Just he just fell. It happens in challenges. So like maybe we don't need to put so much weight on it. So he's playing do or die. Now, Ricard is the first person to employ the Amanda Kimmel hack to this challenge. So he's alternating his grip. So he's at at once holding with his wrists facing down, which is, I think, the natural inclination when you're playing this challenge. And then when they sort of reset and add the cylinders, the new sections of cylinder, then he alternates his grip and holds it sort of like wrists facing up. And that is how, I believe... Amanda won that challenge in Micronesia. She alternated her grip each round so that her it would be activating different muscles so the, so the muscles wouldn't become like fatigued and she would fall out of the challenge. It was genius then. I don't know how often they've played this challenge, but I don't know if anybody else has been able to um, to mimic that hack. And I need, like, if, if we get Ricard on this podcast, I need to know whether he knew what he was doing in that moment or if he just came up with the hack. You know, does he remember that Amanda hacked that challenge? I would love that. So, Ricard, if you're listening, tell me that you mimicked Amanda. (laughs) If you are listening, Ricard. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Unfortunately, uh, Ricard is not able to ride that all the way to the end because Danny also employs the hack uh, in his final round. He uh, uh, changes his grip and he is able to beat out Xander and Ricard for the immunity win. So great. Danny has immunity. Deshaun is facing do or die. And then you just get this weird language. Like Jeff says, if Deshaun dies, he's out and there's no vote. Like, I don't know if Jeff is missing the medevax this season. Like, is it not? I, I, we've heard a lot about how it's the hardest season ever. No medevax, but maybe yeah, at this point he was like, we just kill one of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then we get this Ricard confessional that you uh, alluded to earlier where he says, I hope it's die for Deshaun tonight. Um, and it, it, if, to his credit, he laughs at like at the absurdity of the statement right. as it's coming out of his mouth. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that they like put that in the episode because it's like mocking Jeff's little twist. It also was particularly odd to then have Deshaun sort of meandering around camp with the assumption that his game was more or less probably over. Um, the key, you're in a place that, like there's nothing to do. He can't strategize. Um, it's the fate is out of his hands. And and I also think they got lucky in a sense that it was Deshaun because as we remember, when we had the hourglass, um, I don't know, twist earlier this season, Danny was frustrated by it and rightfully so. And Deshaun was the one to kind of be like, oh no, no, like this is how the game works. Like there are, there are no rules. Like then the rules can change at any moment. 
I would be curious had this happened to a player like Danny, if there would have been more pushback mm -hmm. and just been like, this is bullshit. I don't care anymore because you're coming in and telling me that you already did the hourglass thing and now you're going to have this other thing. It's like, it just seems like the cards are stacked against me. Like, what am I supposed to do? I, have, I cannot do anything. Mm -hmm. I think when you're in a position in this game in which you cannot strategize, what's the point? Yeah. I agree. It's this is and, they, and Jeff tries to frame the twist in a way that he's like, well, it is about social connection because you have to be comfortable in your relationships in order to play the game and risk facing do or die. But no, we came to this game with the understanding that we work with other people and we vote each other out. And then we try to convince the people we voted out to give us a million dollars. Not we picked one of three boxes and then Jeff asked if we wanted to switch and then we switched and then we got kicked out of the game and now we're voting for a winner like no that that's no that has nothing to do with social relationships don't try to tell me otherwise okay so pre-tribal we have to strategize because we don't know whether deshaun is living or dying tonight and so uh danny and deshaun and liana are targeting ricard they say him as a big threat and a front runner to win after the shan vote Danny tries to get Xander on board, but he wants to use Ricard as a meat shield. So Xander's basically like, yeah, Danny, you're right. Like, I'll go along with this plan. But we're hearing from Xander that, no, I'm firmly with Ricard. This is interesting, again, because we talked about what is Xander's relationship like with Ricard. And here we're seeing that it's very strong. And I don't know whether it's because they have a personal relationship that's developed post-merge or whether... Uh, this is like Xander's only opportunity. I mean, we're seeing Xander hasn't been in an alliance virtually all season, uh, uh, save for Evie. Um, and so maybe he's just excited to have anybody that he can trust for a minute. So either way, he's not going to be voting for Ricard. Xander and Ricard want Liana out. Uh, I think that they see themselves in opposition to the alliance of Danny, Deshaun, and Liana. And of course, Danny is immune. Deshaun will be immune if he lives in the do or die twist. And so that only leaves Liana. Then we have Erica and Heather. And they're flip-flopping between the plans. Or rather, Erica's flip-flopping between the plans. Erica sees a clear shot at Ricard, who she sees as a front runner to win. She says, no, nobody's going to beat Ricard in the end. And right now we have a clear shot. But she also has no relationship with Liana and like no trust built with Liana. So she's having to like it's the classic survivor choice of like, do you take out a threat or do you take out somebody that is uh, that that you can't trust that you don't have a relationship with? OK, but two things here that I I just felt like it was very obvious where this was going. If you kind of use a little bit of logic, which is like, yes, it would be a great move for Erica to take out Ricard. But then she would literally have three people who she she knows Liana is in an alliance with Danny and Deshaun and they've already tried coming after her and they would, and then she would now be down a possible number with Ricard out. Mm -hmm. So that seemed like there would be no logic there. And then on top of that, you know, right now in this final six that we have now, we have these sort of interesting, like two, these blocks of two, two, two. And we've even been told on the show that Heather and Erica are a duo so mm -hmm. why were we made to believe here that like Erica is this swing vote? Because if Erica mm -hmm. is indeed the swing vote, for her to vote out Ricard would be betraying Heather, who we've been told is her tightest alliance. Mm -hmm. So there were just aspects of this that weren't told to us that I think if like 
deductive reasoning would tell us that Erica was never going to go after Ricard. I think that there's a world in which she could have flipped well, sorry, without I, Heather. If she, I was gonna, Oh, I was going to say if she would have, I think she would have gotten Heather in. But tell me what you're thinking. I, I mean, I agree. I think that there's a world in which she could have flipped sort of like at tribal if the conversation had been uh, more focused on the gameplay and maybe Ricard is a threat and she's able to read the jury's reactions or something like that. In the moment, she could have flipped. Of course, Xander played his extra vote, which she may uh, probably did not know that he was going to do. So at best, uh, I mean, at best, he didn't play his extra vote and she flips and gets Ricard out. At worst, it causes a tie in which maybe Ricard goes in the case of a tie. Right. And that- uh, maybe Heather flips with her. And so I, th- but I think that she could come back from that with Heather. She could say like, look, I just decided that this is the best. It's the best thing for us. And she can explain that to Heather. And I think Heather would understand. Uh, we've seen, we've seen people flip in alliances before and come back and just explain it. And, and they're able to work together moving forward. Right. But then you have Xander with his idol. And so if you run into a situation next week in which it's like a three, three and they're gunning and Xander plays his idol and, and the three, Danny, Deshaun and, um, Liana are choosing between Heather and Erica. Mm-hmm. They're obviously taking out Erica. Yeah. So I just, I, yeah. yeah, I think, and then also you sort of insinuated this with Xander and his extra vote. The curiosity really is, did Xander either threaten them or like, or did Xander make it clear to them that the extra vote would be played that night? And so they kind of strong arming them in a sense, not threatening. I mean, but strong arming them in the sense of like, Hey, even if you're thinking about going the other way, it will not work. Mm-hmm. Unless, if they both went the other way, it still would have worked. If they, if yes, if they both, so so sorry. Yeah. Rather, were they strong arming Erica then to just be like, yeah, yeah. I, also, I almost think that it was a waste of the extra vote because it either causes a tie or it just doesn't work because Heather and Erica go together. So I don't think it's a waste in the sense that. I don't think there's me- there's very few opportunities left, and I can't really mm-hmm. parse out. It's like Xander's in a good spot, and I just think being that he has that idol, I think that the extra vote, if not deployed now, I, I don't see it being a factor. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of a way in which him, had he kept it, how that could really flip the script next week. I guess if we're thinking about this, because yeah, it's like Xander has the numbers right now. Yeah. For now. For now. But I'm just saying... In, and and I think I think he has the option. I think he always has the option to go work with Danny. Absolutely. They, they seem to have a good relationship. Danny doesn't seem to mind that Xander is never voting with him. Uh, and I think that goes back all the way to the Prisoner's Dilemma yes. Island in, in what episode one, I think. But right? also, I think the resume building of it all to say, I mean, even if this... Even if that... Uh, that vote was ultimately inconsequential for him to then present at final tribal. I chose to play my extra vote in this situation just as padding to guarantee that, you know, had Erica flipped and she was really considering flipping, I made it so that her flip would not change things up for me. I was ensuring Mm. the safety of Ricard, my closest ally. I basically like stepped out for Ricard is the way he could convey it. So yeah, yeah. I think that the, the thing that the extra vote does is cement his relationship and his commitment to Ricard. That's what it does. And so it may, uh, I don't know if it would prevent Ricard from like taking a shot at Xander, like in the next round. I, I think after Ricard votes out Shan, I think there's nothing he won't do. Um, but it is like a very 
big gesture of goodwill to play his extra vote for Ricard in that moment. Okay, so let's get to tribal council. It was like almost a half hour tribal council. And I was concerned about that because I was like, oh, no, we're going to get like a live tribal because Danny's going to be safe, etc. I, fe- I felt it was going to be predictable, and it was not. So as I said before, we've got Shan starring on the jury. Shan, like, I, I thought that Tiffany was going to be the Eliza Orleans of the jury this season. It turns out in just one episode, Shan has taken that title from Tiffany. Uh, and I, I thought her reactions were great. Sometimes I, sometimes I found them hard to read. I wasn't sure if she was looking in disgust, uh, anger, bitterness, or just listening, or like, like, I felt like I was seeing faces I had never seen Shan make before. Right. One thing I want to add that that made me think of, because I obviously know the jury, you know, can't talk and can't respond, but being that this is such an important conversation, I wonder what it would have added to have had Shan doing talking heads after the fact and interjecting. I know it's a change up in format, but I actually think it's one that could be consequential in the sense that they're not only talking about Shan at several points during this tribal, but they're cutting to her without response. And so I think for the audience, that would have been a good way for us, the audience, to get Shan's perspective on this without sort of uh, effing with the, the way in which jurors are not meant to speak until final tribal. Yeah, you don't I like where it. you're coming you from. Like I would have... I would have hated it. I would have hated it. <laughs> I, like, I, and hey, I love Shan, but this is a, it's a slippery slope to start giving the their favorite player confessionals from the jury. And like next season, it's going to be some guy I don't want to hear from. I understand, but I think it's a unique circumstance in how I much agree. the conversation. I know where you're coming yeah. from. So, yeah. But, but I yes, know I hear what from. you're saying where all of a sudden it's like, well, you did it for Shan. Yeah, yeah. That's what we have Ponderosa But not for nothing, sorry, but I also, it's like this kind of tactic could have been used uh, during Kelly for season 39, during the jury in which everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about her and everyone's like, well, why can't we hear from the person that's the subject of the conversation? I think so. I do think there are instances, but yes, agree, slippery slope. The greatest shame of this whole season is that they are not doing a live reunion as far as we know. Uh, As far as we know, they filmed a reunion out there on the island and that d- does not serve the same purpose as a live reunion because the point of the live reunion is to react to the show that aired on TV. Uh, and so we don't have the perspective and we don't have the full story because like the, the whole point is like, okay, now Shan can respond seeing how the decisions were made and everything that went down on the beach and how the audience reacted. And now, she, now she has an opportunity to respond and make a statement publicly on live tv about what she thought about that and like i'm sure that they'll ask chan questions about this at the uh, i mean i hope they do at the reunion that was filmed on the island but it's just not going to be the same yeah uh okay so Jeff reveals that this is the last time they can use their shot in the dark it seems like a surprise to them it was certainly a surprise to the jury uh Erica says that some days I love this game, some days I hate it, today I hate it. And Jeff is like, I love that answer. (laughs) First of all, like, yes, Erica, I too sometimes love this game and hate this game. And on a do or die day, I also hate this game. But uh, Jeff is 
in love with Erica. Like <laughs> these two need to get a room. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like when she walked into the immunity challenge, she was like, good morning, Jeff. And just like Erica. And he was so like <laughs> startled, but someone would say good morning. And it's like, I have to imagine that this is a regular occurrence, if not something that yeah. happens often. It's not, he acted like it was, he couldn't believe that someone would walk in and see him and say hello. Oh yeah. my God. But there's been other moments this season, like when Erica gave back uh, the immunity necklace and he was, she, she was like, oh, you're taking mine. I think it was Xander was the other one. She was like, you're taking mine and Xander's friendship bracelets. And just like, LOL. Like Jeff loves Erica. Like there's so many people that, you know what? You're probably right. People probably do make these comments and sort of like remember what Courtney said about how people after her tried to sass Jeff and they just cut it out of the show. This is not sassing Jeff, but this is like being overly friendly with Jeff and they're leaving it in, I think, because he is literally in love with her. I wonder if during like the turn back time moment when she was on the island, yeah. it was like they were like, Jeff, we don't need you to like go out there. We're just going to give her like a piece of paper. <laughs> and Jeff's like, no, 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 I'll go out. I'll go out by boat. Yeah. I'd like to go. Yeah. And see I her. better. I better go out. Yeah. I, I, it's like, easier if I explain. explain it yeah, her. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, winner, edit, baby. Mm. Okay. So Deshaun then rehashes the Shanvo and talks about wanting to represent the black community as well as possible, even referencing the survivor diversity campaign, not by name, but saying, you know, many former players worked very hard to get us here and that he wants to do well by all of that hard work. He says he didn't realize how hard it would be to struggle with the gameplay versus wanting to do well by his community and the diversity campaign more broadly, seemingly, right? So he is talking about this struggle that's going on internally as well as like interpersonally in the game. And again, like he breaks down here crying. And uh, th this is like what the third or fourth time that we've seen Sean, Desh that we've seen Deshaun break down crying. And like, I, I am really growing to love it. Like you just don't see like a sensitive straight man be so vulnerable so frequently on this show uh and so i i just think you know he's he's, he's well spoken he's like uh, vocalizing this internal struggle he's having he's vocalized it over the course of weeks and i think that it's really compelling i think there's something about um shan calling him a snake that really like festered in him and really mm -hmm. the idea that in his mind, I think he perceived that Shan took that vote personally, you know, that it wasn't, I think he thought of it as strategic. And in that moment he received, he noted, he saw that she was receiving it as personal. And I think that really tore him up. And I think that's where we saw this coming out from, um, was in him not realizing that, that Shan would take it that way. And I think that that affected him in a way he didn't even predict. And especially in comparison to her reaction to Ricard, who she had the longer term, closer, more personal relationship with, that she would respect him for the move, but then disrespect Deshaun for the move. And I think that that very clearly signaled to him like, oh, I, I did wrong by the Black Alliance. And that's really going to eat me up inside like i think that's where it's coming from you know because uh, yeah. he sees how ricard was treated in that moment where she said i'm going to give you you've got my vote for the million dollars uh and so i think that yeah you're right i think that that really stuck with him over the course of that uh, day. day is this a one day round that's I guess. A good question. it's hard to say so uh liana then 
speaks up and she gives this r- really excellent speech, I think. I, I have to apologize to Leon because I've been shitting on her for weeks, like just <laughs> in terms of her survivor gameplay and uh, her perceptiveness. But, but I think the she comes out with this speech that was like have been maybe shitting well, on her. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but she comes up with this incredibly eloquent speech at tribal council of all places where she talks about, and I didn't write it down word for word, but essentially she says, everywhere I go as a black woman, I'm a black woman first. She says that being black can literally kill you. And that is not a new thing. She says coming on survivor can help uplift the community and the black audience watching the show and that she loves this game and wants to play it and just can't throw strategy out the window just because she wants to also uplift the black community. So she's, she's again, like describing this struggle that Deshaun is describing. So it's this dilemma uh, of, of wanting to uplift the black community by playing with other black players, but also wanting to play the game of Survivor where, as she said, you know, Shan's a big threat. Let's get Shan out. Like, that's Survivor. And so that's the struggle of, like, well, do I play the game of Survivor where Shan's a big threat and I vote her out? Or do I bring Shan to the end so that we can see a Black woman win? If not me, then Shan. And I thought, that like, I really loved the way that she said this. And I also really loved the way that she said Shan's a big threat, get Shan out. Because, of course, she wasn't in on that plan and she was mad that that plan went the way it did. But in that moment, she was supporting Deshaun and Danny to some extent and saying, like, I know why they did that and I'm also having the same struggle and I'm falling, like, in my gameplay, I'm falling in a slightly different place on the spectrum. But, like, this is this is what we are dealing with right now. Yeah, I... I... I thought it was so powerful for for so many reasons, but particularly for Liana, I have to imagine that Liana came in to this tribal council knowing that if Danny were not to die, I hate that term. If Danny were not to die, uh, not excuse me, not Danny. If Deshaun were not to die, it would be her going home. And I imagine that she prepared this not speech because it really wasn't a speech i mean it was a conversation i think that was one of the great Mm -hmm. things about it but i think she prepared some talking points about some things that she wanted to make clear and i also want to tip my hat to liana for her understanding of the audience right and that the story that she Mm -hmm. and the and the conflict in her mind is something that the audience for this show while not monolithically white by any measure um but there's going to be a faction of the audience who's not going to understand this this gameplay and so she was sort of speaking to them to try and break it down so that they could understand the sort of where she's at and it's something that the where she's at it turns out is something that she shares with Deshaun and and also Danny so I thought it was cool of her to be smart enough to get to fully round out her perspective to an audience who who is in some senses I don't I don't want to call the audience ignorant I think there are there is ignorance a lot of them are I think you can call you can call them that okay there's an ignorant (laughs) audience out there and a large swath of them I mean you look at some of these alumni on Twitter and the bullshit that they spout Uh off Troy Zan etc um and I think that she it was it was cool of her to recognize that and, and and sort of break it all down and I thought too like how old is Liana 
She's like 20? Yeah. 21? She's young. And so I just thought that like her poise in that moment, it was really strong. And uh, I, 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 part of me, it's like, what is there to say? What, what there is to say is to go yeah. and watch it, right? It's like, yeah. I think if anything, this is just one of those clips that you want to pull out from the show and get people to watch and, and digest. Yeah. I think that's my takeaway from it. I was thinking last night as I was going to bed, what are we going to say about this moment tomorrow? Um, and I don't have anything really profound to add. I think one of the great things about a moment this strong on a show like this is, and, and to, to their credit, um, and not just the three of them. I mean, even, the, as you mentioned, the Shan reaction shots. I think this, this mm -hmm. moment was so fully complete and cathartic that by the end of it, even Liana's exit and her sort of demeanor in terms of not being mad at all or, or, or feeling any kind of way about it was because the story felt complete. Yeah. And I also liked that she got ahead of the criticism that this was going to like this, like this was brilliant. I think in this moment, I realized something that Liana is an academic, you know, she's a student like that is, you know, that's what she's doing. She's a student and in this game, I have seen her struggle sometimes with the social strategy of the game of Survivor, where she's either being a little bit like too obvious with her moves or like not reading the situation exactly right in the context of the game of Survivor. And that has sort of like informed my uh, understanding or like appreciation or maybe lack of appreciation of Liana in the game. And then it was in this moment I went, okay, now I'm seeing who Liana really is. Liana is like in real life, she, like she is a scholar. Like mm. she's a, she's an academic person who is able to speak uh, very intelligently and eloquently about whatever subject uh, and it's just like, for whatever reason, not translating in the game of Survivor, working with people on a beach. Like that's been my experience with Liana. And then it was in this moment I went, okay, now I now I see where Liana shines. Mm. Like I see why Liana was cast right. in this at such a young age. Uh, and here, I, like for so much of this season, I think we've said like, oh, like what, I can't think of a specific moment, but like this is showing Liana's age or like, you know, saying, hey, hate Xander's face and being so obvious about wanting to get Xander out. We said that's Liana's immaturity showing through. But now on the flip side, here's a great moment of Liana's maturity, right? So she is like a complex character, like all of a sudden. And I think that that's very endearing. So she, she goes and she gets out ahead of like the Survivor Facebook and Reddit pages uh, and says, for viewers at home who say, I just want to watch Survivor, why do these real world elements have to come into the game? To those people, to those people, I understand. It just means that we're human beings and we're a microcosm of society. Mm. And like that is literally Survivor. Like they've been, they said that in season one. This is a microcosm of society. It's a social experiment. And she's 100% right here. And I, I just love that she directly like addressed the audience, knowing what they were, they were like mid sentence tweeting right. at her. And she's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I do yeah. think it's worth mentioning in this moment because we did cut to the reactions from Xander and Heather, mm -hmm. um, but noticeably we did not hear from Erica or Ricard. And mm -hmm. I thought one aspect of this conversation that I'm super keen to have with both Erica and Ricard down the line is sort of, and, we, and I think we've talked about this, the way in which um, 
the fellow people of color on this season have sort of not been included when it comes to alliances that are based off of race. Like we had this really strong black alliance, but like no doubt players like Ricard and Erica still face an uphill battle in the way that this show is majority white and they are people of color. Um, and I think it's interesting to not gain their perspective in a moment like that, in which the conversation is not specifically about their community, but they also are a marginalized community uh, in this game and in this world. And sort of for them to speak to their experiences in how they both can relate to uh, Danny and Deshaun and Liana and Shan in this sense. And then also I think that there are likely nuances that make their experience different, right? And I think that that was a conversation worth having. And I, I just would be curious, like if they threw to the two of them and we just didn't see it, if they didn't, why they didn't. But I thought that the conversation became very black and then white um, in terms of who was speaking. And I really mm -hmm. think that there was a missed opportunity in hearing that perspective, especially when if you look historically through Survivor, um, it's actually brown folks who are um, much less cast than black folks in this show. And so I would really be curious to hear that perspective. And I think it was missing from this particular conversation. Though I know that this is a, you know, for instance, you have the, um, what is the name of the black group uh, the of, of post or uh, former players? Survivor diversity. The Survivor diversity right. campaign. But yeah. does the does the Survivor diversity campaign does it encompass all POC or is it is it uh, black people in particular? My understanding is that it's. Like I think it was black founded people. by black players, but I, yeah, I I don't know exactly who's like a, an official member yeah. of the diversity campaign, but I mean the it's pretty inclusive in terms of the, the, the language that they use on Twitter and mm -hmm. stuff like that and who they celebrate on Twitter. Uh, but I, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think if nothing else, what those conversations were like with CBS, etc. Right. I think if nothing else, I'm just curious to hear from non-black POC players in the game and just to gain their perspective more. And, and, you know, uh, if they feel like part of their being, not included enough in the conversation, perhaps they do. And, and that's just, yeah, I mean, I can't speak out of, of knowledge. I more speak out of curiosity, but mm -hmm. I can say I had hoped to hear from Ricard and Erica in that situation. Yeah. And, and a lot of people have been talking about Erica over the course of the season um, being uh, the Asian woman left in the game at this point and kind of like being targeted uh, by the, the broader, uh, uh, alliance of people of color and at the merge and that like that she wasn't brought into that i think people uh didn't love and i think that that comes down to this exact struggle that they're talking about right like because because presumably erica didn't have the connections that other people had and she was a threat and but then you have this complicating factor layered on top of of identity uh, and and who belongs to a group based on their identity. And I have to imagine that Erica is having a very unique experience out there on this island. And uh, like I really hope that we can hear that from her. If she is going to the final tribal, I hope that it's something she talks about. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about what Sophie said in her interview. Uh, if you haven't seen, we interviewed Sophie Clark. Uh, that went up yesterday. And, and she talked about how she thinks that there's a way where you can get to the end and and quote unquote play a card. So she talked about like getting to the end in season 40 and and playing the woman card to say, look, a woman hasn't won this in seven seasons and now is the time. 
I think that there's like an opportunity there. Like Erica could do that. And she, right? and just to be or clear, Erica could say like, yeah, I was gonna say, just to be clear, Sophie is saying playing the woman card in an advantageous way. She's saying like yes. the benefits of playing the card. Yes, yes, yes. That has a negative connotation to it. But um, yeah, she's saying you can get to the end and say, look, a woman hasn't won. It's like basically to say like, you all have a responsibility here to vote for me. And and that that could be a very effective argument. And and I wonder whether if Erica goes to the end, she's able to make that argument. Uh, it would be very interesting to see. Okay. I was gonna mention here, I don't know if I should, but Heather, it seemed to me Heather's response was like, when I first watched it, I thought Heather was like, just found out that racism existed. So my read was but that she doesn't- But that's not actually. Yeah. Uh, my read that was that she still hadn't found out. Like you're giving her more credit than I was. It was a <laughs> dicey moment in many senses and she just seemed- Again, it's like, you want to say she seemed dumbfounded, but like she wasn't present enough to seem dumbfounded. It just seemed like she was orbiting outer space and then had like put on goggles, looked down, <laughs> saw that there was a conversation going on, and then was like, I'm good. Because she said, I had no idea that this was a conflict that was going on and it breaks my heart. And when I first saw that, I was like, oh my God, she means like, race the experience of black people in the world yeah but actually i believe that what she meant was in terms of the uh inner dynamics of the black alliance but that just goes to show you like what terrible gameplay she has because even if you're not a part of a conversation on survivor you should be aware of a, a conversation like that especially when four of the eight people left in the game when it when shan was still in uh Last week, it was eight people, right, with Shan? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, f- f- 50% of the people left, you know, are, and the majority, if you're not including yourself, are having this conversation. You should be aware of it. You should also be aware, yeah. just for instance, if you're Heather going into this season and, and knowing that I'm sure they either knew about the CBS mandate or you look around and can say, wow, this season seems like it is stacked with people of color more than usual on this show. Like, and you don't think that they were talking about, like, race at all? Like, I, 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 I just... Know. Heather, 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 Heather. I Heather. know, I know. Hey, look, Shan in her exit interviews has been talking a bit of shit about Heather. And I'm reevaluating. I'm, I'm, I think it's time to revisit whether the movie of Heather's life is getting made anymore. <laughs> the green light's coming down on that one. Yeah. I I I think if nothing else, I will hold out hope. Uh, but mm-hmm. I feel like we've gotten enough indicators um, that yeah, the Heather Assange might be delayed indefinitely. Yeah, we're in the dark ages. Yeah. We're in the Heather dark ages. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we go to the do or die. We interrupt this. <laughs> This like emotional and moving tribal council for Jeff to say, it's time for me to set up my game. And he like has to walk around and like get these little boxes, like the whole thing visually and like in the, the scope of it on TV was the opposite of epic. It was like so, so anticlimactic. So he sets up his little three little boxes. And at that point, that's when we realize, oh, this is not a 50-50 chance. This is a less than 50-50 chance. So uh, it's... As Xander points out, it's the Monty Hall problem. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I knew this. Okay, so 
<laughs> I had some understanding of how this works even before. I was hoping that like when I saw it, I was like, I'm going to be able to be the unique person to explain this. And of course, like it's all people have been talking about, uh, you know, this on Survivor know-it-alls. Christian Hubicki came in to yeah, explain it's funny. it. Billy's literally <laughs> in the next room right now and just texted me being like, do you need me to come in here and talk about um, probability? And I was like, yeah. So everyone, everyone's an expert. Yeah, everyone's an expert. So uh, Deshaun has... Uh, three boxes to choose from. One contains a symbol of fire. The other two contain a symbol of skulls. And uh, the fire, fire represents life. Skulls represent death. And Deshaun picks one. So this is a blind choice, right? So he picks one box. Jeff then reveals one of the two boxes that he didn't pick and that it contains death. Then he offers Deshaun the opportunity to switch his choice. Deshaun sticks with his original choice and wins. But in this scenario, the gag is Deshaun beat the odds because in the Monty Hall problem, this is like deal or no deal, right? Uh, <laughs> in this problem, you're supposed to switch. And it's like a damn good thing that he didn't know that because uh, he, he happened to beat the odds. And the, the reason you switch, I hope I can explain this right. The reason you switch is because you have made a choice blindly based on three options. Then the host shows you one of the two options you didn't pick and that it was, an, it was a bad option, right? And so by, by the host knowing where each of the items are, the, the fire or the death um knowing where they are he has made a choice between the two remaining boxes and so suddenly the probability of the box that he didn't open containing the winning item goes up because he made that choice so you made a one in three choice now uh now it's a sorry how does that work he made a you made a one in three choice blindly the host made a one in three choice with all of the knowledge. And so the the one that he avoided opening has more probability of being the winning item because he made that choice with the knowledge that you didn't have. I have no idea what any of this means. And, and okay, I trust you. I mean, I believe you. No, I'm, you're explaining it. I just, this is not, <laughs> this is for sure. Yes. And somehow the, the percentage of probability goes up that by switching, you're going to win. Okay, cool. I'm yeah. sure that I'm missing like a key piece of this, but that's Google how it. I understand yeah. it. Yeah, great. Google. There's lots of great explainer YouTube videos. Okay, so just look it up. Uh, but Deshaun wins here, and like great for him because now that we all know this, and if this twist returns in the future, I think everyone's switching. Everyone's going to switch. Well, let's but hope in this case, if he switched, I have a feeling that this twist is going to return until someone gets eliminated mm. with the twist. And then the outrage, the thing is, the, the survivors got, got off scot-free here because the conversation around this episode is about race. The conversation is not about the do or die twist. And that's because the do or die twist didn't result in what I think Jeff wanted to happen, which was a player getting eliminated by it. If a player gets eliminated by it in the future, there will be absolute outrage. <laughs> And I think that will be the last time we see it. So I think it's coming back until it eliminates somebody, unfortunately. That's my prediction. So 
The vote goes forward. Uh, Liana receives five votes. Uh, Ricard votes for Liana. Xander casts two votes for Liana. And then Erica and Heather both vote for Liana. And Ricard receives the three votes from Danny, Deshaun, and Liana. So Liana is out of like very unfortunate timing here for the show in some ways because it's like uh, she had just given this impassioned speech and uh, a, a black woman went last week and now we have another black woman going and we haven't had a black winner since season four, a black woman win since season four. Uh, so it's like a little bit rough timing here, but we can talk about that in a minute. We talked about the way that the vote broke down and what would happen if Erica and Heather uh, flipped and why they didn't. So I think we can just get straight into voicemails. Love. Hey, Sean and Evan. It's Esmeralda from Nam slash Melbourne here in Australia. Um, just finished watching the episode and my question for both of you is what does it say for the show that it voted out two African-American women in a row given the conversation that was had at Tribal Council? Really enjoying this podcast. Keep it up. Thanks. Hmm. Thank you so much. That's a great question. I don't think it says too much about the show itself because I think that I think the show did its due diligence by way of giving this conversation ample airtime. And I don't I mean, ultimately, it's the contestants themselves that make these decisions. Um, it's not the show. So I think like optically, no, it's not great to watch the two black mm -hmm. women, especially one in uh, one being Shan, one who many of us wanted to win. It's not great to have them exit. Um, but mm -hmm. I think it is worthwhile. I think the that conversation that was had during Tribal is more worthwhile than anything and will be a talking point far past the episode itself um, and will have a, an imprint on the show's future in a way that I think is so substantive that I think despite the optics, I think that it's not um, a stain on the season by any measure. Yeah, I think it goes back to something we talked about before that although they're casting or they're 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 aiming to cast fifty percent uh, uh, people of color in their casts moving forward, and in this case, they actually cast a little bit over fifty percent, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the the actual way that it breaks down still puts like black people in the minority of the cast overall. Still puts brown people in uh, in the minority overall and so um i if we're in a situation where the black players are working together as an alliance there's still opportunity f you know for them to be picked off as an alliance and I, I don't i don't think in this case uh there there that somebody voted for liana because she's black or sham because she's black but uh because that they were a four-person alliance that was about to gain the majority if they got you know one step further so uh, I think that maybe even more diversity like I would love to go back to the Cook Island Fiji days of the diversity casting because that, that I think is a much more even playing field and maybe we're going to get there uh, so I think I think that would be an interesting thing to watch in 2021 2022 Okay, another voice memo. Okay, so I'm trying to be open-minded about the do or die situation. I can see how Survivor is trying to force the players' hands to be more creative and think more creatively, 
because the past 40 seasons, it's been the same kind of formula. You get in an alliance, you get in a voting block, and that's just what we've seen. So I can see how they're trying to like force them to, yeah, think outside the box. But on the other hand, what really frustrates me about that is I feel like if someone wins Survivor, they need to win because of their gameplay and not because of chance. Yeah, so I think what's interesting here is that Deshaun was probably going to go home tonight, if not for the do or die. So let's say the do or die never came up. Deshaun doesn't win immunity. I think probably Deshaun goes home. And because he survived the do or die, he's arbitrarily immune at tribal council. Like, why? Like, we can't vote for Deshaun now because he survived this parlor game. Uh, I think that that does mess with things a little bit because now he's suddenly in the next round that he otherwise wouldn't have been in. And maybe the target's off him for a minute. Maybe he gets to the end. Well, he in some ways he got to the end largely on the chance of the do or die. So I, I see that argument. Okay. A voice memo from an old favorite, Tan. Okay. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. I needed a few minutes to process that episode. And I don't even want to talk about the specifics of that episode because immediately after it was over, trash twist, um, my husband and I are rewatching Micronesia. So we were like, let's just go back to that. We just got post-merge. And it's so good. This season is so good. They just showed a reward where they're like flying to somewhere that's like this gorgeous, important um like landmark in Micronesia and they're gonna stay in a resort with like luxurious items like shampoo and everyone looks so excited and they're about to do this challenge that's unique and looks really interesting and it's I think I just wish that rather than add all these ridiculous twists they would do a really retro style season and just bring back something from like episodes one through 15 or one through 25. I think that's something that we haven't seen in so long and it would be really interesting and new to some of the younger viewers who haven't seen those seasons or just newer viewers who haven't seen all those seasons. They don't have to be younger. Um, but it would also be like so heartwarming for people who have been watching it for a long time and do look back at some of those seasons and really enjoy them. Um, and I think it like also speaks to something that like y'all have touched on and something you just mentioned in like that amazing interview with Sophie. I listened to that, by the way, and I thought it was so good. It totally changed my opinion of her as a player. I thought it was amazing. Um, so thank y'all for that. But that would be so unique. I wish they would do that. Um, anyway, again, loved the interview yesterday. Really excited to hear y'all's thoughts. Please just roast that horrific twist. Um, it was horrible, especially the fact that it was three out of three. Like, that was trash. Also, if you paid attention to the time, they announced, like, the results of the little twist with Deshaun when there were seven minutes left in the episode. So you knew, because there was so much time left, that he was going to be safe and they were still going to vote if you're looking at the clock, which I always do. I don't know if anyone else says that. But anyway, um, so, yeah, bad twist. Um, but that's kind of, like, my overarching thought. Anyway, I love y'all, and um, thanks for the podcast. Bye. We are so heartened that people are listening to and liking the Sophie podcast. I think... I speak for us both when I say we are extremely proud of that podcast mm -hmm. and uh, 
uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's particularly nice to hear someone's sort of like changed opinion on Sophie because I think that's the goal with any kind of interview um, with someone who's not in the public eye on a like you know being interviewed regularly, I shall say. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, though, in response to you is like, yes, I think that many people, myself very much included, would want sort of a back-to-basics kind of season. I think the tricky thing is I could see a season that goes back to like the teen years and sort of just having idols and sort of take out other advantages. As much as I would love like a uh, back to real basics, meaning no idol play, I do think you run the risk of a pagonging and just people that are in a situation which like you know you have a tribe of nine you have a six and three and you get three very predictable votes so i I, though i do think it could work like you know because you know things can happen things can be shaken up i think it's too big of a risk from production to not have any sort of way in which someone at the bottom can um you know find their way out but I would love to see, again, like just idol only. And even if so, maybe like less idols. Um, I'm all for sort of removing, I think a lot of us are for removing the twists and turns that the game so loves. Yeah, and I th- I think there's a way to pitch a retro style season. I think you could really do it of like, I think we would call it like back to basics or something like that, but it would be a teens style. So like I could see like a, a three tribes each tribe has a hidden immunity idol and that's good enough yeah like then then we've got Ooh. idols in the game and hey if they get played early like put put them back out on the beach hosted by colleen haskell mm. or elizabeth hasselbeck oh my god <laughs> she's, not, she's not working bring back our girl uh, okay Oh, also yes. On the timestamp issue, a hundred percent. I looked at my clock. It was it was eight fifty one, and I was like, "Oh, obviously he's living, and we have to vote now." And it's going to be a straightforward vote. Annoying. I hate that. Okay. <laughs> uh, we have another voice memo. I've I've I'm in the situation again of having to choose pick and choose voice memos. So I am sorry to anybody who sent one that. Uh, I am not getting to. Hey, Sean and Evan, it's Kimmy from Singapore. I want to ask you both three questions. Who do you want to win this season? Who do you think is going to win this season? And who do you think deserves to win this season? So for me, I want Erica to win because one, I'm also Filipino, so of course I'm rooting for her and two I kind of like like an underdog story she's always been at the bottom but I want to see her rise to the top um I think Deshaun is going to win this season only because at the moment he has the clearest path to win for me who knows that might change but right now it seems like uh he's got a clear path um and I think the one who deserves to win this season is Ricard because he's been so exciting to watch. He's so strategic. He's kind of silent, but so deadly. He's a challenge beast. He's just so riveting to watch and I've really enjoyed him. On the Heather casting, let me just throw in a wild choice. Maybe Meryl Streep or uh, Jennifer Lawrence, because those two can play anyone. Why not Heather? <laughs> yeah, why not Heather? Generous. Um, can I make a request to our audience listening for next week? Can we get voice memos from you all just saying, in the movie of Heather's life, Heather would be played by blank? 
I think we're canceling the Heather movie. We're canceling it. <laughs> it's just we have a couple more options today. We'll get to. Okay, but fine. hey, we don't have to cancel it. We can. Hey, if people feel strongly about an actress. Okay, do you want to do your three first? Yeah. Uh, okay, I hadn't really thought about this before, and I probably should have. Uh, okay, who do I want to win? Who will win? And who deserves to win? I want Ricard to win. And I think he deserves to win at this point. I'm really strongly backing Ricard. I think Erica will win. Okay. Who do I want to win? Ricard. Who do I think will win? Ricard. And then what's the third question is who deserves to win? Who deserves to win. Who deserves to win? Ricard. Ricard across the board. And you know what? Yeah. And let me say this because I, I too am like, I'm rooting for Erica. My... My reticence at this point is if Erica were to win without many more game moves, she would not go on to be a respected winner. And I would worry that like, I think at this, this is why I wanted Chance so bad to win. But it's like, as much as, believe you me, I want a female winner. I want a female winner, but I want her to be an iconic female winner. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, and I'm not saying Erica is... I don't think Erica has met the bar of iconography yet. And I worry knowing how disrespectful this fan base is to females and even to winners often. It's like, I think we need a real, we need a star. And Shan, unfortunately, is that star. And I just don't think Erica would be like a memorable winner. I think Erica has already found herself being a cult winner. Like, like... She has a fan base growing online of they call them they're they're calling themselves Erica Truthers that, that they believe that Erica is getting the winner's edit and it's been actually fun to watch like I enjoy the Erica Truthers um, I don't know that I am one but they're they're quite convincing bunch of people so <laughs> and look uh, like I'm I'm so here for an Erica win representing Toronto like she's uh, every week she's having a watch party that's around the corner from my apartment and I'm like. I've never been invited, but like, it's exciting. It's exciting. We've never had something like that before. So uh, I, I, I'm here for it. Okay, we've got one last one that uh, I picked out especially for you, Evan. Hi, Sean and Evan. This is Callie from Paris, Ontario, not France. I should probably preference that. Anyways, I truly believe that the one and only Jennifer Coolidge should play Heather in the upcoming biopic about her life. And I'm not just saying that because Evan was the one that got me hooked on the White Lotus because of his Instagram, but I truly believe that she can bring the heart and the hilarity to the role of Heather. Thanks, guys. I love the podcast. Now, Evan, I feel you're in a uniquely good position to talk about whether Jennifer Coolidge is appropriate to play Heather or not because uh, she's recently become your good friend by the looks of your Instagram. My good friend, indeed. Uh, I, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I feel like it's it's very it's very generous casting in the sense of like Heather's getting an an icon to play her. But you know, if, if Meryl Streep and Jennifer Lawrence are in the running, then Jennifer Coolidge should be too. I also think it's worth noting. Um, this is not even a plug, but on the upcoming Shut Up Evan season premiere with Jennifer Coolidge, we talk extensively, not extensively, but we talk for a bit about Survivor and specifically um, the seasons that she's watched and her thoughts on it and why she does not like the show. That is a plug. 
<laughs> oh, and she shares, I mean, I guess I'll share it here, but you'll hear her talk about it. But she shares about a survivor watch party that she had at her home in New Orleans in which Mike White flew uh, former contestants to Jennifer Cool. Well, he flew them down to New Orleans and they did a watch party at Jennifer Coolidge's haunted house. Like Her house her. is haunted. It's It wasn't like set up as a haunted house. No, for no, no. She just has a house. It's got ghosts. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Subscribe to Shut Up Evan. Don't forget to rate and review <laughs> Shut Up Evan. How many voicemails did we miss? Now, we've got one more casting. Look, if we're putting an end to the casting, <laughs> if I, I'm, I'm the one putting the end to the casting. I know, that's right. We're having a difference of opinion here. Let's hear one more today. Dream casting scenario for Heather. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. This is Leah from upstate New York. Um, I did not love the deal or no deal moment uh, at Tribal tonight, but had it gone differently, I think I would have been a lot more upset. Um, Courtney has always been my favorite Survivor player, so love you guys for having her on. It was incredible. And I think to play Heather in the movie of Heather's life, I am going between Katherine Hahn or Laura Linney. Let me know your thoughts. Can't wait for the next episode. Solid choices. Yeah, really solid. Leah, where upstate do you live? Um, upstate New York, I'm very curious. Yeah, I mean, anyone who resonates, anyone with whom Courtney resonates is a friend of the pod like it's just where does upstate New York end is there like a board like can can Buffalo be upstate New York no um no yeah no I I feel like that's a really good question I don't have the answer but I feel like it's like I think you get like a two and three hour and you got to be like Buffalo's really west you got to go like you can go north it's not just it's not just northern New York State. No, I mean, there's there's actually, like, I think that there is per- parameters, and colloquial parameters, if not factual parameters around, like, when someone says upstate that, you know. But I feel like there are facets of upstate because I think a lot of people think upstate and they go, like, Woodstock or, like, the Hudson Valley or the Catskills. But, like, I was in, you know, Monticello, for instance, which is technically upstate New York. So, you know, a whole other pod. Maybe we'll do a whole separate pod. Um, I do want to put out there, Sean, you and I haven't talked about this and we can figure it out, but I think it, it would be fun to do, I know we're doing a mailback episode that's specifically um, just Survivor around the holidays, but I do think it'd be fun to do one the week after the season 41 finale to do a mailback episode specifically pertaining to 41. We can talk mm. about it if people are interested and, and just have the sort of like overarching thoughts because I do think it's worth sort of like separating out season 41 because of all of the ways in which it's a unique season. Yeah, yeah. I just you're like uh, you Barbara, have. You yay. can just no, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> no, a mailbag episode is great because I don't I don't have to do any work. I don't great. have to like research. I don't have to. I'm just responding to questions. I love that. Uh, just send, send any questions you have at all to me, and uh, I, I can sort through them. If we have a lot of 41, I can. Uh, hey, I can. We can make a 41 uh, episode and then a general episode. So just any questions. Uh, well, not any question, but like, you know, survivor questions. Send them to me. You can find me on Instagram at soda.pop or you can send me your voice memos uh, or you can ask me how to send a voice memo and I will respond to you there and we will make sure to try to get it on the show. I'm sorry to those that we didn't get to this episode, uh, but I think that we a- addressed your questions in the uh, in the bulk of the episode. So... Uh, don't be too mad at me. 
Don't forget to check out our interview with Sophie Clark. It went up yesterday, so you will see it in uh, the feed there on your podcast app. It was so good, and Sophie is so smart, and I like I really do want to have her back on the podcast because I felt like we literally just scratched the surface with her. So uh, go check that out. We're getting lots of great feedback about that one, which we're so happy about. We have more interviews lined up for you. So make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss our future interviews and our upcoming recaps. We are in the end game of Survivor 41 and uh, two episodes left. And then we're taking a break. No, I'm kidding. We're not taking a break, but you know, we won't be having weekly recaps. I won't be getting up early on Thursday mornings to prep these recaps, which I'm a little low-key looking forward to. But I do love being here. So (laughs) make sure you subscribe, rate and review uh, if you feel compelled to do so and uh, get in touch. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.